0: Lord that a plug will be pulled, and Lord that you will open our eyes in the spirit to see the truth. Thank you for setting us free this morning in jesus name. Good morning. It's wonderful to be with you again uh, a lot of you uh, guys you people guys girls have been doing the foundations eh um Who's been doing the foundations? It's really awkward seeing, I, I did that last year uh, in Cape Town and uh, seeing yourself on the screen is really awkward. And I just, this week I heard that the guys are calling me the tan can guy. <laughs> I just want to say, I want to squash that vicious rumor. My tan does not come from a can. And just like you spend time in the sun, you get a tan. Just like you, when you spend time with the Holy Spirit, you will be changed. And what I want to speak about this morning, the title of this morning's preach is Our Gospel. The Gospel of Soft Hearts. And Paul writes in uh, Thessalonians. He, he writes to the Thessalonians. He'd just been in Philippi. He's gone with Barnabas, just started his missionary journey. Preached in Philippi in, got persecuted, beat, thrown in jail, sang songs in jail, opened up, uh, the jailer gets saved, and then they move 100 miles, 160 kilometers to the next town, next big town, Thessalonica, Preach there for three weeks. And Paul writes to that church, and he writes this scripture, 1 Thessalonica, uh, 2 verse, from 2 to 6, eh? Yes, we someone are jumping right in. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourself know we are destined for this. It's not 1 Thessalonians 3, eh? it's 1 Thessalonians 1. Sorry, guys. Maybe I can tell a little story just while they're finding the, the right scripture. So one day there were two prawns. This is a true story, eh? Justin and Christian. And they were cruising around the coral reef. And, and being a prawn, you know, you're always kind of afraid of fish and sharks because everything kind of like wants to eat you. And so Justin, he speaking to Christian about this, said, you know what, it's not really fair that we, and so he just, I, I wish, I wish that I was a shark. And all of a sudden, magically, this cod appears. God swims over and he says, your wish is granted. And, and Christ, uh, Justin immediately turns into the shark. And of course now Christian's afraid of, I've just got to get these names right. Christian's afraid of Justin and, and, and swims off, goes into his little coral house. And now Justin cruises the ocean. And, you know, he thought it would be great to be a shark, but now everyone's afraid of him. And uh, he's swimming around, he's all alone, and no one wants to be his friend, and this goes on for a couple of months, you know, swimming like a shark. And one day he swims, and he sees the mysterious cod. And so he swims over to him, and he says, listen, yeah, I thought it would be great to be a shark, but actually, I don't have any friends, I'm alone, won't you please turn me back into a prawn? And so God says, Fine. And he grants him his wish, and he turns into a prawn again. And he's, he's, he's overfilled with joy. He, he swims back to, to, to Christian's house, and as he enters like, the, the spaces that used to be, tears of joy fills, fill, fill his eyes. And he goes to the door, and he knocks on the door, and he says, Christian, Christian, I'm back. And Christian's like, no, 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 Justin. You're a shark, and you're just trying to trick me. And you just want a free dinner. And so Justin goes, No, Christian. I'm changed. I found God and I'm a born, born again Christian. <laughs> Sorry, I messed up the punchline a bit there. <laughs> you get it? I'm changed. I found God and I'm a Born again Christian. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry about that. I should. It was a joke. But that is kind of like what I want to talk about today. I want to talk to us about when this gospel comes into our hearts, we get changed. And in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. And that enables us to, to, to bring this gospel of reconciliation that we have been entrusted with. And so we become new creations in Christ Jesus. And I didn't give them the scripture, but 2 Corinthians 5, that, that, that word new there is kynos kitesis, which is not neonate, which is not, you don't become young and a young human again, but you become something completely new in the gospel and so that day and these people that this morning have put up their hand and and have responded to the gospel there's something powerful that happens in us when we give our heart to the gospel that God makes us a new creation and with that new creation we get given new abilities and power to become more like Christ but also to extend God's kingdom within this world and so what I want to talk to about talk to us this morning about this. I want to talk to us about what is this gospel? What is this gospel that has come into our heart and has made us a new creation? And what is this new abilities that we have as these new creations? And how should we think about ourselves in order to live this out? Because as man thinks in his heart, so he is. And so if you just think you're a good, a better old person, you're not going to act out what God has made you to be. The fullness of the gospel won't present out of you, into the world of what God wants to do with you. And that's when Paul writes writes to the Thessalonians and he says, our gospel has come to you. And so let's read that quickly. 1 Thessalonians 2. We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the gospel... As a pretext, the gospel as a text, the gospel as a context, and the gospel as a post-text. The pretext of the gospel is God so loved the world. The gospel always comes with love and grace and mercy. When the gospel is preached, and if you read that first chapter, and I want to urge you to go read it, you'll see Paul often refers to the pretext, the motivation with which he came to preach the gospel wasn't for selfish gain, it wasn't for flattery, but it was for love. It's the love of God that compels us. Then there's also the context that the gospel gets preached into. It gets preached into this world, which is a hostile world. And we need to realize that when we preach the gospel, that we are going to face opposition. Because the the gospel is to some the, the fragrance of life, and to some it is the stench of death. And so when we get rejected, when we preach the gospel, do not be, do not be alarmed, do not become despondent, actually rejoice. Because they rejected Jesus. And if they reject you, you, it means that you're carrying the message of the gospel. Not everyone that you preach to will will be saved, but some will. That doesn't stop us from preaching. And then the post text is that. Is that, that when we receive the gospel fully into our hearts, and this is why this preach is significant to us, that is what it looks like. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith. When, you, when the gospel, you receive the true gospel, it leads to works of faith. I wish my heart was so blessed this morning. It sounds so Christian, eh? My heart was so blessed this morning. When Philip and Marilyn were up here, you know that I, I beguiled them into the church. We were still meeting over there in the foyer. This was all still open air and with thorns and thistles and stuff growing here, raining into the walls. That's why still we can't get paint to stick to it. And we, the one Sunday morning we had a bring and share. And uh, we were busy eating and Philip and Marilyn walked in the door and they obviously, I don't know how they heard about the church. Someone told them if you want to fall pregnant, come to this church. And so they came to the church and they walked in. They saw it was a bring and share and immediately went. they were like out. But I was on them. I saw them. (laughs) God puts the lonely into family. But the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Sometimes we can think the gospel is just vertical. It's just between me and God. It's just spiritual. It's just prayer. It's just fasting. It's just reading my Bible. It's just community. But isn't it one John that says that, don't say that you love God if you can't love the person that's sitting next to you. And so they were about to slip out the door. And uh, I quickly called over one of the deacons and I said, or some, I can't remember who it was. I said, just just chat to them. And I ran to the table and I put food and I put the food into their hands. And then they couldn't leave. (laughs) I will use anything for the gospel. Even some slub (laughs) ears, And so they stayed. And they got knitted into the family. And the gospel permeated, permeated their hearts and their lives. And look at them now. Now they're walking into something of the destiny that God has for them. They're doing the kitchens, and their reward is just, it's growing. And so they were faithful with the little, and God gave them more. And they were faithful with the little, and God's given them more. And so when you're coming into this church, yes, we're a church that believes in the vertical. But we're also a church that believes in the horizontal. And that's sometimes why our announcements take so long. Some of you were sitting there today, saying, can't they just please get to the worship? But the, the announcements that we're doing is family matters. It's the stuff. It's the celebration that we have. We're celebrating God. We're laying our hands on We believe that when we lay our hands on them, that there's a power from heaven. There's an authority that comes. There's an exousia that falls upon them, that puts them into a different sphere where they can operate so that the gospel can flow. In Jesus, we're all the same, but in Jesus, we're not all the same. We've been given different responsibilities, and where you've been given a different responsibility, you need a different authority to fulfill that responsibility. And so when we look at the end of the gospel, I think the works of faith, the labors of love. Now, work of faith is lacquer. Now it's a work of faith. It's lacquer. God's called me. We're going to work. The inner gaiya is flowing through me. I'm excited. Six months' time it turns to a labour of love because now it's hard. We can't find people to help us, and the people aren't phoning and they're not like letting us know that they can't be there when they're working. And so now we're working hard. But it's the same gospel that empowers the working of faith, also empowers the labour of love. And so some of you sitting here today. You've been Christians for a long time, and it's turned to labour. The word for labour, there's copos. It was even hard for Jesus, you know that. So Jesus, is, when Jesus preaches to the woman at the well, they've just they've just been in Jerusalem, they've just been at the feasts. Jesus has just overturned the tables. You can imagine the kickback he got from that, eh? I mean, you actually get offended when we just preach the truth some Sundays. There's Jesus in the temple, he's overturning the money changers' tables. He's made a whip. He's whipping the oaks. It's chaos. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're looking for him. And so he doesn't take the normal route back, the route that goes by the Jordan. He takes the route through Samaria, the dangerous. How's it, Fred? How are you? Sorry, guys. (laughs) Squirrel, y'all. Fred, uh, he was in the congregation with us in Malcolm Strand. It's wonderful to see you guys. Are you guys here on holiday? Awesome. Lucky to see you, man. Anyway, where, where, where were we? I want to say Jesus knows your name. You're coming into this church. We'll know your name. Because God died for people, not for groups. No, that's not true, eh? God died for groups also, but Jesus knows your name. He loves you so much that he's numbered the amount of hairs on your head. Numbered them, not counted them. This is going to hurt. There goes number three. It's easier for Jesus with some of us because we've got less hair. (laughs) Sorry, man. How am I doing? Have you got my time? 13 minutes that there was a broncho, okay. So Jesus, and he's being chased by the Jews. He's worked hard in the temple. He's tired. He's walked a day's walk to get to that that well in Samaria. And he's so tired, he's just like, he says, you guys go find food. I'll just sit here at the well. And that word tired, there's kopos. It's the same as that word labor. And what happens? The woman at the well comes, the rejected one, the one that couldn't be in the village, she couldn't come with a woman. You guys have all seen The Chosen. Have you all seen The Chosen? She comes to the well and what does Jesus do? He tells her all about her, but he doesn't treat her on the way that on the things that she did. He treats her on the future that he sees for her. And he extends mercy to her. See, the gospel is a gospel of mercy. God doesn't treat us the way that we should be treated. He doesn't Treat us according to the sins that we've all committed. He treats us with goodness and love and grace, with a, potential, with a view of the potential that we have in his son, Jesus Christ. That's how he comes to us. And he tells her all, and she accepts him into his heart, and she runs off. The disciples come back with food, and Jesus is, now they say, here's your food, Jesus. And he's like, I'm all right, thanks. No problem. I don't need that. And they're like, did someone else feed him? And then Jesus says this to them. I have food that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of the Father. And so sometimes when we're tired, seek the will of the Father so that you can break through. Don't give up, don't give in. Because God will take us through seasons of working in faith and seasons of laboring in love. If you're a community leader or an elder or a deacon or I don't care where you serve in the church, all of us should be serving somewhere in the church. Sometimes we feel like we want to give up. Make sure that you're not giving up the inheritance that God has for you in the gospel. Just some my willy-nilly. Because there's a guy in the Old Testament that did that, isn't there? Esau gave up his inheritance for a bowl of lentil soup. and The Bible says that God was not pleased with him. And he actually lost the inheritance, and Jacob got it. Well, Jacob took it. He shouldn't have taken it. God was going to give it to him. Jacob deceived, but. And then there's steadfastness of hope. Anyway, that's the that's the result of the gospel, and I shouldn't have preached about that. Well, not that I shouldn't have. But what is this gospel? That Paul speaks about. And so let's look at this, the next verse. Because the gospel came to you. For brothers loved by God. That he has chosen you. Because our gospel. Interesting. If I have something. Is it yours? No. So Paul saying there. That he has a gospel. Which means that someone else also has a gospel. Which means that there's different Gospels. Which means that there's a true Gospel, and it means that there are false Gospels. And only if you root rooted in the true Gospel will we bear the fruit of the Gospel. You guys getting that? And so what is this true Gospel? It's a Gospel that came to you not only in word, and so the Gospel needs to contain Word. The gospel needs to contain also in power, and also in the Holy Spirit, and also in with full conviction. And that word there, and I don't want to start with power. That word power there is the word dunamos. And Paul could have used a many different words that can be translated. It's, don't worry, it's just rain. You guys have seen rain? Who's afraid? Don't be. Paul could have used many different words for power in that little scripture. He could have used archai, which has got a structural component to it. He could have used bia, which has got an oppressive component to it. He could have used energeia, which is like the effect of what energy is. He could have used exousia, which is authority. is like what can I do and what can't I do in the gospel. He could have used... Kratos, or ichthys which is the effect, or the, like a battery being charged. What is the, how full is my tank, type of concept. But what he, he chooses to use the word dunamis there, which is the word power, but which is the word ability. What is the ability that God has given you in the new creation? And so we need to look at what is your ability as a Christian in the new creation, so that we can view ourselves Correctly. And so can we go to Jeremiah thirty one thirty one I think? Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. N- next verse. We're living in that new covenant, eh? Did I only give you that verse? I apologize, guys. Just one second. If you've got a Bible, turn there with me. Jeremiah, here we go. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them out by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel for those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one say, teach his neighbor, and and each his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. So what is this new gospel that we have entered into? It's a gospel where we are not bound by law and rules and regulations. It's a gospel where God writes His rules inside of our hearts. And on our minds, and we walk with the Lord daily. And so what happened when Jesus died? The temple curtain was torn. What was inside the most holy place? It was the Ark of the Covenant. Revelation 3:20 says, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If you open up, I will come in and fellowship with you. So what happens to you? What do you become when you accept the gospel? You become a temple. What do you house? You house the presence of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant was symbolic of the presence of the Lord in the Old Covenant. Quickly, what was the Ark of the Covenant? What did it look like? It was a box. It was about this high. It was about this wide. It was covered. It was acacia wood. It was covered in gold. On top of the Ark of the Covenant, there were two angels that stood like this. And the presence of God was in between. What was that place called? The mercy seat. In the box. What was in the box? The Ten Commandments, a bowl of manna, an Aaron's staff that had budded. This is what we have become in the Lord. We have become the agents of reconciliation. And so we have become agents of mercy. The blood of Jesus fell on that mercy seat. And therefore God did not take our sins and deal with us according to our sins. As I was worshipping here today. There is a spirit of the enemy that is trying to come into this household. And the way that the enemy is trying to come in is he's trying to bring division and he's trying to bring offense. You know, someone can just say something wrong and you misunderstand it and you get offended. Be aware that we treat one another like God treated us. Why did Adam and Adam and Eve ate in the garden? Then they covered themselves with thick leaves. They hid themselves. God used to walk with them in the cool of the day. You know the story? What's the sinful response to, to sin? It's covering yourself, hiding yourself, and blaming because Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the snake and the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. Thank you, Jesus, that laughed at my joke. (laughs) So what is one of the main characteristics of a Christian? You have been given the ability to forgive. The people that hurt you and the people that offend you and the people that cause you to stumble, you have been given the ability to forgive. If you are quick to anger and quick to pull away, that is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is the way of mercy. Then God gave the Ten Commandments, so he gave the law. There were 613 in the Mosaic law, but we don't relate to one another on laws because laws make laws. And laws tell you, kind of like when you give me a law, I'm going to go, I'm going to get away with it and what's the minimum that I can do? Because there's also the shepherd's staff. And so God shepherds me with his stuff. It's no longer really necessary that we teach one another, but it doesn't mean that there's no teachers, because obviously teachers is an office within in the in the church. And so we need teaching. But in your heart, you should be shepherded by the Lord, because not everything comes down to a law or a rule. So for instance, I'm going to give you this example. When I got saved, I came out of a I got saved and immediately in my heart I knew that I had to start tithing. No one taught me about it. I'd never heard about it, but I had the conviction and I was convinced that a tenth of my income I had to give to the Lord. No one told me about that. Now, it might not be the same for you, but that's how it happened with me. Immediately in my heart, I knew that I didn't want to date people. I knew that the next girl that I was going to enter into a relationship with, my intention was for her to be my wife. You see, dating and courtship are two completely different things. And if we operate according to the culture of this world, we attach, not attach, attach, not attach, and we make room for licentiousness. And licentiousness is opening a door that cannot be righteously fulfilled. The world says, try before you buy. It's not God's way. Sorry. Uh. So we brought our young people out here this morning. There is an attack on them, on their sexual identities, and on purity. If we are a family, and this is not in the scripture, but Nelson Mandela said it takes a village to raise a child. I want to say it takes a church to raise a child. God puts the lonely into family, but the rebellious live in a sunscorched land. The kids that stand up, I'm primarily responsible for my kid, but so are you, secondarily. And so we create the culture of what happens in the church. And so, our inten- so my intention was that the next lady that I was going to see, but because before that there were some ladies and I used them. I objectified them. I wasn't portraying Jesus to them. But the shepherd of my soul, when I got saved, put the law of God in my heart. And I knew. And so there, a lady came along and it didn't work out. I didn't have to get married to her, but my intention was right. And then the next one came along and, well, two later. And she was it. And so there's no dating, in, there's no dating in God's kingdom. Because God said it's not good for man to be alone. So find the one and then be honorable, be truthful, have the right intention and work towards marriage. If you're too young to work towards marriage and if you don't have a field in which you can buy and a, field, a source of income in which you can actually have a family, then sort out your field before you look for a wife. You have a responsibility. You, boys don't get married, and boys shouldn't date. And the difference, and we have boys that are old, and we have men that are young. Your age doesn't determine whether you're a man or not. Whether you take up your responsibility determines whether you're a man or not. Whether you love like Christ determines whether you're a man or not. Sorry, it's kind of like, are you guys all right? I'm pointing my finger and I'm screaming. It's terrible. Drinking alcohol. Contentious subject within the body of Christ. What does the rule say? Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So if you drink, it doesn't mean that you're going to get drunk. If you drink too much, you get drunk. But then there's another factor to consider. Is when I drink, maybe there's someone around that's got less faith than me. And if I, maybe for them, they can't drink. Maybe they came out of a situation where they abused drink or they were an alcoholic. Or maybe even in a culture, if you go to Namibia, you cannot drink. If you go on an outreach with us, you can't drink. Because in their culture, or in Africa, they equate drinking with licentiousness with not following the Lord. And so we cannot, in our freedoms, and this is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 8, I think. In our freedoms, we cannot cause our brothers to stumble. And so yes, you have freedoms, but Paul gave up his freedoms. He didn't require a tithe from the Corinthian church. He said, I give that up. And so sometimes, and I know that we have a, we have a pretty healthy culture here. But I do want to caution us, especially when you're a leader. Make sure, pray before you you drink. Even if it's just one glass of wine. Because that person sitting at the table with you, do not cause them to stumble. It's better for a millstone to be tied around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. But let the Lord be your shepherd in that. And so my experience was when I came into the kingdom, when I was saved and my nature changed, God shepherded me and for all, God said to me, you can't drink. And I didn't drink. And then after about four or five years, the Lord said, no, you can have a glass of wine. And I had a glass of wine. I didn't get drunk. It didn't lead to debauchery. And recently the Lord came to me and he said to, my, to me, Monet, I don't want you to drink. And now I've stopped drinking. If I drink now, What is that to me? It's sin. But not because of the letter of the law, but it's still sin because my faith, my conscience now doesn't allow me to drink until the law changes that for me. And so things like, it's good for a man not to be alone, but Paul says, it's not a given that you should get married. How many children should you have? Should you move? What should you do with your business? The Lord speaks into all those areas in our life. And on the outside, if you look at the laws, it might look all fine. But what's the Lord saying to your heart? Because He has now given us soft hearts. Does that make sense? Are we st- am I doing all right, elders? How long have I gone, love 30 minutes. And so the gospel comes to us and we cannot put fences on each other where the Lord hasn't put fences on us. Because you can use the word of God as an instrument that does not bring Jesus. And so the Pharisees did that and it came out of the exile. You know the exile happened... The Israelites were taken into captivity in Babylon. And then after 80 years, they were sent back under Ezra. And then they had these scribes that would read the word of the Lord to the people. But they never wanted to be... They were taken into exile because they broke God's law. And so now they're like, well, okay, logically, let's think about this. We don't want to go back into exile. And so let's keep God's law. And so then the scribes started making laws around God's law. They called it pulpar logic. And they, they called, literally, they called them fences. It's like, a, and it makes sense, hey? Eh? If you don't want someone to speed, you don't want to break the speed limit, what do you do? You put a speed bump down. I hate those things. So that before you break the law, you've got a speed bump, so you've got to slow down. Otherwise, you break, and that's exactly the logic that they applied. And so Moses gave them 613 laws, and then these scribes started putting laws around them. And they still, initially, they agreed, no, this is not, if we break God's law, that's sin. And if we break these laws, they're just there to help us. And then time went by. And then scribes started putting laws around, the laws around God's law. And it started moving further away. And then comment, and then the, the, the teachers started coming. They started putting more laws. And so whenever Jesus disagreed with the Pharisees, he, you've heard this, he disagreed with the traditions of the elders. See, Jesus wasn't disagreeing with the Mosaic law. He was disagreeing with the system that now had stood up that was taking a higher authority than God's law. And so, for example, what happened was around the Sabbath, there was 1,500 laws apart from the one Mosaic law. So, for instance, you couldn't walk in a field on a Sunday because just now if you walked through the field, your robe would catch an ear of wheat. And that ear of wheat would then hang on your robe. And just now it would would drag on the ground and then the kernel would come out. And just now, as you were walking, you would tread it into the ground and then you sowed. And so therefore this is where it goes. You laugh. You we think we're different. And so laws make laws. And so Yes, we've got the freedom to... What are some of the things that we do when we make laws around people? Well, I've heard it said in Josh Jen that we don't... Josh Jen does not allow dating. Well, the Bible says nothing about dating. But what the Bible does say is that marriage between a man and a woman. Younger men... Men treat younger women as sisters. How do you treat your sister? How do you kiss your sister? A little peck on the cheek. You see, if you, because if we make that a law for you, you start asking this question How far can I go? We're now moving towards marriage. How far can I go? It's the wrong question to ask. The question to ask is what is pleasing to the Lord? With regards to giving to the church. How little can I give? How much can I get away with? Where our heart should be. We're here to co-labor alongside one another. And my resource that I give is there so that the kingdom extends. Not how little should I give. Jesus has already given all. So. We should give 10%. And then there's also th- offerings and alms givings on top of that. But. The question is not the Bible because we want to start arguing is it net or is it gross? Should I give before tax or after tax? Is it even still in the Bible because it's a law? Didn't Jesus take fulfill the law on the cross? But grace enables us to live to a higher standard than the law. And so if you want to give under the law, give under the law, but don't give under the law because the law just produces death. You should ask yourself the question what is pleasing to the Lord? And when I give, I give with faith because I know that the gospel will extend. So I participate. It's us, it's not I or just you. And your money opens up the door for more people to come full time, for more people to preach the gospel so that the kingdom can extend. And so your giving is an altar which translates money out of an earthly realm into a heavenly realm, and your money waits there for you. But if you start walking on this line of the law, crushes you. It doesn't bring faith. It just brings bondage. And it brings division. Because now we start arguing about it. And so the gospel comes in word. But word that comes in our heart. And by this I'm not saying that we're against what the Bible teaches. Sin is sin and God disciplines those that he loves. But make sure that when you apply the gospel to someone else's life that you don't apply it as a religion like the Pharisees did, tying heavy. Because also we grow up with the Lord. Who here has no sin? We all have sin. But God takes, some sins are just more visible than others. But God takes us on this journey. And so maybe someone has come in here and they're still living with their girlfriend. But they got saved last week. Do you go and challenge them on their sexual purity straight away? That's a real question. Do you challenge unbelievers? No. But if they're believers and they've come in, you pray. You pray for them. And you trust that God will start to reveal. Because God's just where they've just come. They're still on honeymoon, man. They've just realized their sins are taken away. They can come into a relationship with the Lord. The river is flowing in their hearts. And God, through the Holy Spirit, will slowly start convicting them. And then there might be a moment where you can sit down and have a conversation and say, You know what? You shouldn't sleep with your girlfriend. It's adultery. Ah, uh No, it's fornication. Well, it might be adultery if it's really bad. <laughs> then you definitely shouldn't be there. But it's as we keep in step with the Spirit, it brings freedom. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so we are a church that believe in family. We are a church that believe in accountability. But have we started using the Word as an instrument without the Spirit? Because then we're bringing bondage to each other. Because at the end of the day, he's the one that walks with us. He's the one that teaches us. He's the one that moves with us. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean that we don't help one another. But the gospel is firstly this. That God has reconciled us to the heart of the Father through the sacrifice of the Son. And now he has given us his Holy Spirit that lives inside of us and walks with us. And when we have the three elements, the word, the ability to hear, to feel, to listen, to house the presence of the Lord, and you add to that the spirit of the Lord, you have full conviction. And those four elements make up a gospel where people produce works, where we labor in love, and where we are steadfast in our hope. Can I ask you you close your eyes? So maybe you've misunderstood part of the gospel. And you'll, you'll know that you have because maybe you're easily offended in the Lord. And I'm not wanting anyone to stand up today, but I do want you this morning, if you have become offended with a brother or a sister or with anyone in this household because you don't think they're holy enough, and you've stepped into authority that is not yours to step into. And I want you to say sorry to the Holy Spirit right now. If you've come into this place this morning, the Bible says that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whomever believes in him will have eternal life and shall not perish. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of the Lord and that the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God in Christ Jesus is eternal life. The message that we carry as a church is the message of the power of the gospel that God's love has put Christ inside of our hearts and because of that love his Holy Spirit is there. It's not a message of moralism. It's not a message of rules and regulations. It's a message of love and reconciliation, and a soft heart. And so maybe you've been preached the gospel of moralism, a gospel of rules, a gospel of you have to be a certain standard and a certain goodness. You might have been in church before, or you might have been saved before, and you've walked away because the rules have become so stifling for you that you've actually lost the presence of the Lord. And if that's you this morning, I would love to pray with you. Is there anyone here this morning that you've actually been put off the gospel by God's church? And you want to come back and you want us to pray with you. If that's you, can I ask you, just raise your hand. Just you want to come back, you want to feel God's love again. You want to feel God's touch again. You want to hear His Spirit speaking to you.